I'm Helen Lowe, and this is Naked Conversations, Women Uninterrupted, a series of dialogues I'm sharing with a soul friend and fellow life learner, Lisa Fitzhugh, because we believe that relating to self and other with honesty and vulnerability unlocks the transformational potential needed in a world poised for collapse. While some might challenge the notion that conversation is a catalyst for real change, we trust this most humble of actions is precisely what's needed to dismantle what doesn't work and cultivate a more inclusive and sustainable way of being. Whoever you are, we're honored to have you in the conversation. Well, good morning. Good morning, Lisa. <laughs> I'm really happy to be sitting here talking with you this morning. Feels really good. The same. There's, it feels like a lot of life can happen in two weeks. Oh, man. There's just so much going on. <laughs> There's so much to process. And yeah. in the lead up to pressing record, we're talking, what is the intention for our conversation today? Mm-hmm. And what I took away was exploring this idea of freedom. What does that mean? What is personal freedom? What is collective freedom? Our country is built on an ideal of freedom. What does that mean for us? And, um, and how is that playing out in our personal lives and the collective the planet. It's a, it's really the ripest topic because of course then the polarity to freedom is control. And I've been feeling, it was a great ad I saw driving, I was driving down fourth Avenue and it said, you can't control the weather, but you can still control your Wi-Fi." And in this moment I was like, yes, of course, you know, as this surround sound of environmental and ecological collapse is happening and so much is going on that we cannot control, that feels like disaster, we as humans are zeroing in on what we can control. There's so many places we could go right now. I'm just pausing to just like let myself... (laughs) Yeah, be with all the ways we could, all the things I could say and respond to. Maybe one way to do it would be to drop into a personal um, example. So I'll just share briefly this dream that I had in it. I'm leading some retreats in, in Molokai and, and it's all with all women. And one of the women approaches me and in my dream this person symbolizes what i would call um, addiction to relevance she quests for status and um, high position in a lot of the jobs that she's been in recently so she symbolizes that part of me and in my dream she's telling me that i have a second infection and i'm not sure what that's about but that it's an indication that i'm dying And she looks at me kind of with this sort of knowing glance, like, you're dying. Just own it. Cop to it. And I feel this sort of rage surfacing in me. And I recognize that it's partly denial. 
because I don't want to die. But it's also this other um, surging knowing that I'm not dying. I am alive. And so in my dream, I'm finding as loud a voice as I can. I'm yelling at the top of my lungs into her face. I am alive, you know, again and again and again. And it's this juxtaposition with the certainty that I'm dying with this other voice that says I'm alive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in real life, outside the dream life, many people have been telling me that I look very healthy lately. So I'm struck with this, you know, this kind of huge paradox of what's, so what's dying? What's dying? Right. And it's right. And it took me several days to get to that one. And I did finally come to, I go, ah, yes, of course. What's dying is my quest for relevance. And relevance has been with you, with me, my whole, since I can remember. And I'm addicted to the idea of it because it gives me purpose. And it's deeply disturbing to think that I am um, some, the idea of my quest for relevance is dying because mm. I don't know who I would be if I wasn't helping. I have no idea. So it's a, it's a deep absence of, and it's a pretty profound invitation for me to let go of some control. And what I hear embedded in what you're saying is that helping has had a part very particular flavor that just given, given our conversations thus far has a push quality to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, it would, it would embody, you know, it would involve, I have answers. I have resources. I can help. If you're feeling unclear, I have clarity. Let me be the, the light. Let me do these things that appear to support your thriving. Mm -hmm. now on the face of it that sounds pretty good yeah that sounds like a pretty great way to spend a life right mm -hmm. and yet it is intimately woven into a, a dependency on how a dependency to serving in a way that is tied to other people's um, validation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as long as that's in there, there's some fear and there's some ego. Mm. And, uh, and some manipulation potentially. Well, that, that, that's kind of where I wanted to, mm. to dive in a little bit because it also, it requires... Um, the perspective that you are more powerful than somebody else. I know for myself, and I saw it when I was working in philanthropy for years and years and years, that there's then becomes this self-identity that I'm this helper. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm this savior. But that's about relevance, you know? Yeah, well, it gets into this idea. I love what you just said about um, power, you know, so, so you, so it requires that I think that I have more power 
than, than someone else might have. And um, is, if I think that, then, then I'm likely to, then how do I ever access my own vulnerability? Because what I'll do is I'll draw all the projections of people wanting someone with power to come in and, and, you know, balance it out where they feel powerless. And then I will take a lot of that projection and um, it will, I will then have more power than I need. <laughs> and it's not in balance. And then it creates a weird polarity. And I'm like a microcosm or a fractal of that. And if you take it out in society, you know, when you look at the bigger power dynamics across the globe, um, where this need to demonstrate power or have more power um, uh, or obsess with relevance, which is really a quest for power. Yeah. Wow. That's it, Lisa. Relevance is a, a quest for power. For power. I, at one level, I, it might not be the whole kitten caboodle, but it's, it's a big element. It's a big one. When you were talking about your journey of, of relevance, I, what comes to mind is back in the summer of 2012, I took a three-week hiatus. I was guarding these three weeks preciously because I had this writing uh, project. I wanted to do a personal writing project. And uh, I did a medicine journey, actually, a couple months before that and got the very clear message that those three weeks were not about doing. They needed to be about being. And so with some encouragement from a great friend, I approached with great fear and trepidation three weeks of not doing anything, not organizing myself around anything, no project, no plan for dinner, nothing. And I unplugged my Facebook account. I turned off my email. I kept my phone active and said to my friends, if you want to get together with me, call me or text me. And if I can do it like right then within the next 30 minutes or so, we can get together right then. Great. Otherwise I'm not planning anything for three weeks. And at the end of the first week, I was in a puddle of tears. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done, which seems absurd. And I know that people listening might think, oh my God, I would give anything to have a week to just not do anything. That sounds great. But what I was confronted with was how every aspect of my life was organized around a plan and this idea that you're calling re relevance. It feels really like what, what made me valuable is, is, is how it felt in my body. Like I was worthless. I had no value mm -hmm. if I wasn't producing something, mm -hmm. I wasn't connected to other people's producing of something um, and had nothing to show <laughs> for my existence. Mm. <clears throat> and mm. in some way, I think that that is true of humanity. Like mm. we have some deeply wired need to be valuable for sure. But what I recognized at the end of the three weeks and then continuing all these years later, 
I get to see that what did I put in place of discovering what a more authentic, a more pure, if you will, essential sense of purpose was. I kept putting all of these projects and these plans in place that were substitutes, you know, um, for purpose. Um, And they were kind of manufactured meaning that ultimately left me empty. And what I came to see after three weeks is I actually had a great sense of purpose and meaning. Like I suddenly was connecting with something way deeper Mm -hmm. than I ever imagined possible by doing nothing. And in my time sense, it seems like my very life itself, if I do nothing, just, just following the impulse to love and to appreciate beauty and to be in deep inquiry, like I'm finding that life can be of service without a bunch of plans about what that service might look like. Mm, mm. You said something, um, you know, I needed to, I can't remember the, the words exactly, but I, you know, show me what you got, show me what you've done. You, I heard you say something like that. And I, I, I hear, there's a voice in my head. It's the same exact voice that says, um, you know, explain yourself, right? Like, what have you done all day, you know? And that voice is, um, it's an abusive voice. And it is in the collective. And it's a stern taskmaster. And I don't mean to give it a masculine thing, but in me, it has a masculine tone to it for sure. Um, Because it's not comfortable with surrender and sensuousness and wandering. And I don't know, it needs to know, needs to know what you're doing, how well you're doing it. And what are you going to do next? And these are kind of metric focused you know, energetics, constantly metric focused energetics. And everything is, I look around and how much is metric focused in the world. And then we become metric focused and we're almost like machines at that point. And you've, you've worked through something that it feels like it's allowing you to live as a, a plant or an animal would live. our natural selves that are, you know, that are going slower and um, growing at a very organic pace and expressing itself, you know, and herself in um, uh, tender, quiet ways. And, And we see what we do to the things that live that way on this planet. Right. We subjugate them, we imprison them, we demean them, we think they're not valuable, we cut Mm. their lives short. Mm. So we're doing it to ourselves Mm -hmm. first, you know, and until I, I mean, we're looking out, we can look out and see that we're doing it to the world. Yeah. But in order to change that, we need to see the way we do it to ourselves. 
I think that's so important. I think that's so important because uh, I think we have a human tendency um, to see the problem out over there, you know, um, on the other side of our skin. <laughs> and uh, that actually is, is, is the crux of the dilemma, as it seems to me, is even this notion of separateness, is that somehow... I am separate from all that that's going on over there, whether it means that I, I'm taking a position of like, I'm, I'm better than that and that's bad or um, all that's great over there and I'm bad. I mean, however we see it, this notion of separateness in and of itself is, is the, the very crux of the problem, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not to go a little dark, but I did um, I did watch Vice last night about Dick Cheney during the Bush administration, and um, it was a really <laughs> um, played exceptionally well by Christian Bale, um, the archetypal controller, sort of deep puppeteer in politics. Um, and in the end, well, I guess I can't say the end, bummer. But <laughs> it comes back to um, what he compromised with his own heart. Mm -hmm. That there was a profound separation between heart and head. And so there, there was no blood left. There was no life left in the heart. Because they have to be connected for there to be vitality. And... Um, in some of the work I'm doing and some of the coaching I'm doing, I'm noticing that some of the deepest divides, the separate, this idea of separation is that that individuals have relegated the head and the heart to different parts of the houses and they've not come into contact with each other for their in decades. And without the the voice of the heart, the head gets extremely cold and very controlling and believes something about what it can control um, that is completely dissociated from nature, from the mystery, from the, from the all. And um, it's what I wonder about is how to bring those two back into relationship again in a person um, without them having to have a massive um, collapse of some kind. Like we're seeing on the global scale. On the global scale. Yeah, it's, it's the big question. And we've, we've come at this... Um, in other conversations, I mean, I, th I think we keep coming back to it because it's so central. Um, do we, we do we have to burn down the world? Do we have to face our own mortality individually, you know, and or collectively to begin to confront our assumptions about how things are and this false perception of separation, bringing it back to the topic of freedom specifically. I mean, that's just one lens we can look at this through. I mean, as I opened with this notion of our country being founded on this 
this cry of freedom, you know, freedom from tyranny. And yet we were bringing great destruction and tyranny in our own right, you know, and um, what gets perpetrated in the name of freedom, you know, what horrors get perpetrated in the name of freedom. And, um, you know, don't fence me in and don't limit me. And, you know, the whole pioneering, which I come from pioneer stock, like big time people that literally pushed their wagons, didn't have horses and pushed their wagons across this country into the great wild west, you know, I mean, that's, that's part of my legacy of, of ancestry. I mean, it's all of ours. If we're living in this country, it's founded on that. Um, but this notion that we can somehow be separate from anything, that we can somehow be free from our interconnectedness, then it's like we've, we've, we're kind of choking ourselves on it and we gobble up our resources or, you know, uh, gobble up other people, you know, um, as resources. And in this pursuit of freedom, this, you know, myth of the individual, I'm reading the book, Overstory by um, Richard Powers. Is that his name? Yes. Um, and um, it's 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 it, that's one lens so we can look at it through. You know that this that the trees show us our our innate interconnectedness. They show us an interconnectedness of, amongst a species. You know, but they also show us that we're we're interconnected with them. Like, and we're cutting down our own lungs. You know, like we need trees to breathe. And yet we still think that there are these things outside of us. And if you try and slow down, even not even stop, but just slow down the massacre of trees, the cutting down of our own lungs, mm. you know, you're accused of stopping progress or of, you know, in infringing on other people's freedom and other people's rights. You know, I have a right to earn as much money as I want. I bought this land. I can do what I want with it. Mm -hmm. um, so this illusion of separateness um, and what freedom actually is like, I think, I think I want to unpack with you yeah, what that, freedom actually is. Right. What freedom actually is because, you know, freedom without, um, an awareness of how everything I do is, is connected to and interrelated to everything it is that is going on around me, that I am, I am literally part of a, a live biosphere. If I'm, if I'm demanding freedom without that awareness, it leads to where we are now, which is resource extraction and walls and um, getting whatever we want and, you know, cheap shit from China and, you know, like the freedom that I want to explore, the freedom that I think I'm wondering about now is the freedom to live from a place of um, profound improvisation, the freedom to live gently, to freedom to live from a place of wonder which is challenging to the matrix because it doesn't, it, it doesn't want the wonder means that we're sitting in a kind of um, supreme, like our hands are outstretched. 
we're allowing for this mystery to take up more of the space. There's something here. We have this notion that freedom is a, 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 an unlimited ability to like grab or grasp. And what you're saying is what I'm hearing and what you're saying that feels resonant in my own experience is that real freedom is this holding out the hand, open palm, waiting to see what life places there. Yeah. Yeah. To imagine that here's what puts me in a state of emotion around that is just that to to say that, to suggest that that is our freedom, to ask for that, that we want to live with arms and hands outstretched in a state of gentleness and receptivity, um, it feels like the most um, sublime, easiest freedom to grant. So, about two years, let me just make this personal, you know, bring it kind of into the lived experience. About two years after this three-week hiatus that I mentioned where I practiced not doing and just being, learning to be receptive, learning to be vulnerable and slow down. Um, two years later, I changed my agreement with my partner of several years at the time and um, packed up all my belongings and put them into storage and um, stepped out of our home and took two, what I thought would be maybe two or three months to just like live and see what, what the next move was. I wanted to practice this very thing that we're describing, this, this outstretched palm that says, what does life want me to have? What's available? I felt like I needed a certain kind of freedom, right? And I couldn't have a mortgage or a lease or even, a, even, a, even an agreement with a, a, a beautiful partner. I couldn't, I needed to have total freedom from, as, as free from responsibilities that I could get. Mm -hmm. um, and what's so beautiful is what I got was a life lesson and in how interconnected we are. And I didn't know what I would do, but I thought, well, I might have to do, you know, Airbnb, you know, and um, I really thought I was going to do it on my, my own way, right? I had this um, do-it-myself mm -hmm. um, individualistic mentality still firmly in place, you know, mm. and, um, mm. and I was just on a great freedom adventure mm -hmm. in one respect, but... Mm -hmm five months in to what ended up to be an 11 month journey of kind of feeling quote homeless. I mean, I had places to live. I wasn't on the street, you know, I, um, and all this was by very much by choice and design in some sense. But what I discovered was that my freedom was found in the open arms of a community that just rose up mm. and people that offered up their place to me mm. um, and such kindness and, but people doing things for me and asking, and then I was able to do things for them. I found this way in which I was learning what real freedom meant in this very interconnected way. I needed a community 
Mm-hmm. I couldn't be all on my own, you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or I could, but I wouldn't have learned the lesson of real freedom. So this oh. freedom came. I felt more free than ever wow. five months in, and also more mm. interconnected with other human beings and kind mm. of the web of life than I thought possible. What an amazing story. There's no way you could come to that, Helen, except by having surrendered to the experience. You can't do that intellectually. I have so many people right now who want to leave the systems that they're in. And there's nothing I can say that would assure them that once they let go of that tether and of that certainty, that, that, this fruit, that the fruitfulness and the freedom they might find There's nothing I can tell them. That is only something the brain has to work, wander into and have a new experience around to be wired differently. And yet you're you're going and doing that is you're pioneering. You are pioneering in the way that your ancestors did, crossing the country to start claim new ground. Pioneers have to see something and so want a new way of life that they risk all to have it. That's that's so true. And it's why, you know, nothing's all positive or negative, right? It's like, it's this blend that we are as human beings. And those ancestors had vision, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and they had experienced so many of them, real oppression. And, um, and so there's some beauty in following a vision and a calling and just seeing where it goes. And I think, um, yeah, there's great courage. I don't want to take anything away from that. I love that about those ancestors. And it seems like there was some, also some story already in place, right? That, um, you know, neuroscientists talk about confirmation bias, that, that once we kind of have, once we decide some, something is true, then we kind of go around and looking at all the evidence that to confirm our perspective. And so if they thought that they were more civilized, you know, and, um, that people that live differently are somehow savages, you know, then you can see that they, they just looked to confirm that everywhere they went. And, mm-hmm. and, and so if they come from a, from a culture where we're separate from our, we, we've started to separate from nature, we've started to separate from the wisdom of uh, the rhythms of nature and think that humans know better than nature um, then you can see that even all the beautiful visions that they have are going to be um, executed, <laughs> quite literally, mm-hmm. um, from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that the, that the new pioneers, the, those of us who are feeling called to live differently, um, require us to release it requires us to really if we're going to actually do something differently we need to relinquish or start to recognize our biases Mm -hmm. and start challenging them and start um letting go kind of starting returning to where we started letting things die 
mm-hmm. the willingness to let things die. The longest memory I have is of feeling that I wanted, that I saw us all as friends. And I had an image of all of us holding hands. I wanted to be friends with everyone. And I saw that there was a potential for all of us to be friends. And I've not been able to completely trust or that believe that that was enough. And I find that I am on the verge of letting myself live as, the, as a friend to all and that that would be enough. And it's not about what I do for people or, 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 or how well I package the strategic ideas that I lend to the process. <laughs> I so want to, and I don't, and of course, the naivete that I can hear all the voices in my head, that's so naive. I mean, what are you going to just be someone's, you're just going to be our friend? I'm having to go through this process of the death that, of the ideas that believed that that is irrelevant or silly, or that's just what happens, you know, in, in our intimate spaces and, um, that's of course you're you can be a friend but to live as the friend to put everything into showing up every day to anyone i cross any path i cross to present what it is to be a friend to anything the plants the animals and the people <laughs> to the world that's alive or to the world that's not alive to be a friend to it what would that look like I so want to go there, but it requires that a bunch of ideas that I have about how important I am, or I think that I should be, don't kick in, don't stay in my brain like a bad infection, (laughs) which is what my dream told me is that I had an infection. (laughs) And I do. I'm infected with these ideas of, I mean, if you're a friend, you don't care who wins or loses. You don't care how much power you have. None of that is relevant. You don't care how smart you are. It's not about any of that. You know, I'm just, it's a quality that, um, I wish I could see from the other side. I wish I could be in the world and know what it was like to be on the receiving end of my friendship. It would help me. It would strengthen my conviction to live that way. But I can't because I can't get outside myself. <laughs> Although we can, we can look perhaps to how nature is our friend and to have a sense of how that feels. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking outside right now at this beautiful bush that has been blooming outside my dining room window. And it's been spectacular this spring, full blossom, white flowers, fragrant, not, not so much more fragrant than in all previous years. It's in the neighbor's yard, but it's growing in towards my 
windows and and the breezes have it bouncing around up against my windows and it's so beautiful it's every morning i wake up to it i can smell it um she's not asking anything from me she's being beautiful every day in the way that she is and expressing herself and changing and moving around and I feel like we're in communion with each other. She's sort of look at me. She's sort of asking me to be inspired by her. Just take her in. Just be inspired by her because her beauty is, is all inspiring. And that feeds me. And that feels like a wonder way, wonderful way to be a friend. I, I um, was inspired by something that Michael Mead, mythologist, storyteller said at some point about nature and my version of whatever it was that he said was that everything in nature offers the truth of its life to be in service to the whole. And that I see it like the bees, just the truth of their life is that they pollinate. And they are participate in the proliferation of food and abundance and beauty. And um, they're just doing their truth, right? And everything in, in, in nature does that. And it's interesting that we humans have this really different perspective that we somehow think we have to do some these very particular mm. prescribed things mm. to be of value or of service mm. to the whole yeah. and what we what we are now coming face to face with you know yet again maybe the largest we've done so in recorded history is the fallacy of that that actually all the ideas about how we can be of service seem to be contributing to the demise of the whole, not um, the proliferation of the whole. You know, it's not the flowering. We're not flowering like that bush. We're. Mm. Um, I learn so much from nature. Mm. Yeah, it's the biggest teacher. I mean, we watch a river, right? We watch a river, and it it just flows. It flows unobstructed, and um, uh, it doesn't resist. And it has a destination and it'll get there eventually, you know? Yeah. It'll get to that point of its yeah. purpose. And all that it does on the way, all that it gives to everything in its path, you know, is mm. life-giving. Mm. My son just told me that um, he had to write a paper or an essay for an environmental uh, science class and talk about what shaped his relationship to nature as he was growing up. And he talked about all the places that he spent and time in nature. He spent looking at the small things. And he said he feels most like himself when he's in nature. And I think it's certainly true for me too. And if I go outside and I go downtown and I, what I notice is, is that the majority of people are looking at and in relationship to a piece of technology that wants something from them and that has an agenda 
there's just such a um, becomes a profoundly uh, constricted environment for knowing who we are. I feel also more myself in nature and I think so many people do, but I also know people that are really afraid of nature. You know, I, I have a client um, that comes to mind that um, is really working on with her fear of the natural world. Um, mm. and she's conscious of it. It's beautiful, you know, and she's really exploring it. Um, and, and I have it too. You know, I, I, I went and did a backpacking trip for my 50th birthday. I did a solo backpacking trip. I'd never backpacked and, you know, um, let alone by myself. And I, I did this by myself and I, I had to, face you know like i like nature but it's been all this controlled nature and if i go out into wilderness what will that be like and um i think we've become so afraid of of our natural spaces and where we actually experience the most freedom i mean back to this idea of freedom i think not only do i feel more myself in nature i feel more free in nature and free, once again, in that interdependent way, that that is real freedom. And if we're afraid of the very places where we feel most free and where we're reminded that our life, if we just live the truth of our lives, we are inherently of service to life. Mm -hmm. like if we're afraid of those places, then, then of course we forget what real freedom is in interdependence. We forget who we really are. We forget who, what service we actually are just naturally. Yeah, because of these agendas that we have, because of these preconceived stories that we have. And I want to say, I can imagine people listening. It's like, well, how do I do that? I have this city life. I have a device that's telling me <laughs> I need to do things to earn a living, to, you know, have a roof over my head. And yeah. I don't have some pat answer, but I think we have to be asking ourselves these questions and, and, and provoke each other in really loving, mm -hmm. kind ways to challenge our assumptions and to ask ourselves, what is freedom? Mm -hmm. What is bondage? And and what am I afraid of in the real, in the freedom of what's possible, of being a pioneer, of, of, of living a different way than all the, the, the agreed to insanity that we've, we've co-created. You know, there's no one person to blame or, or even really one group of people to blame. It's, you know, it's, it's just the way humans have evolved mm -hmm. from my perspective. Yeah. And I think each person comes to that inquiry, you know, in a very unique way with a very unique path to ask, where am I? Where are the chains? Where are they on my body? Where are the restrictions? Where are the ideas that are, that are um, limiting of my expression? what's and it are i guess that's that's for each person to really find and but what i would i just keep encouraging people to do is 
to not have the pat easy rejection of well, I can't do that. It's, it's I've got to make a living. I've got there's you know, um, I have two children and I'm in this relationship and um, I've got all these responsibilities. And uh, I I can very much appreciate that responsibility, but it, it's also a bit of a chain. It's a it's a heavy weight that we put on ourselves because it's comfortable and it also can i say familiar maybe it's familiar it's familiar yeah it's familiar so what if we just asked um in the same way we're doing i feel like i'm doing every day is is just ask where do i feel constricted and to look at it and ask, you know, what, what's, un, what's under that? What's in the constriction? What information does it have for me? I love that question. I love that question. And another question is, and where do I think I can't do that? Or that's crazy. Like, you don't have to do that. Fine. It might be crazy. But just can look you have the courage? Yeah. Can you have the courage to just look at it and question and say, why is that crazy? What, what, what about me is afraid of that? What's scary about it? Yeah. And you don't have to change it. But just, just pause and contemplate long enough. Like, oh, I'm afraid of that. I don't even want to entertain that question. I don't even want to entertain the idea that life could be different or that I could make a different choice. Like, just be with that. Mm-hmm. You don't need to take an action. I think that's some of the frustration um, and some of the impetus for escape, you know, is not being, we can see things or we can know things to be true and we don't know how to fully bring them into articulation or in lived experience. And, and without knowing how to do that, there can be a giving up or giving over to, oh, well, it's just too much. Never mind. And then we have to numb out because it's painful to like know in our hearts and our guts, our bodies, that this isn't the way, but we don't know how to get to the other, other way that we know is possible. Like Charles Eisenstein, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. How do we get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think anymore it's about, it's not proselytizing to others about, you know, go this way. It's, it's each of us doing the very deep and deliberate personal work to surface what freedom looks like for ourselves. And sharing that with others who could hear us and resonate with it and be inspired by it and and feel bolstered by the possibility. But there's no, it's not like, you know, there's not a Tony Robbins fix here. No, it's like the trees. It's kind of slow, but interconnected, you know, and it, and if you and I are having a conversation and we're questioning and, and somebody else joins our conversation and then they're, 
having conversations and questioning. I mean, it's, it's this network, like the underground network, like the trees, you know, yeah. they send nourishment and resources to each other and information to each other. And, mm-hmm. and we act as a forest somehow without maybe right. seeing the effects right away. Yes. It's going to be slow, which is what people have already been saying about, our conversations is it takes a while for them to drop in and get to used to the pacing because it's not kind of driven in the same way that other, you know, media might be. Yeah. We need to practice this other way of being. The slow contemplative, um, you know, one wondering with each other just a wondering with each other thank you for wondering with me. thank you for wondering with me it's very reassuring to hear other people wondering especially someone like yourself back at you sister this has been naked conversations women uninterrupted If our conversation inspired or provoked you, we hope you'll start a meaningful exchange with the people in your life. We're grateful to Kevin McLeod, who generously provided this music, and to artist Tom X, a dear friend of Lisa's, for providing the beautiful painting that graces our show title. Until next time, may we all remember the sometimes miraculous power of real dialogue and practice having kind, curious, and naked conversations. Thank you.